Amen. Well, thank you, Dougie. Good morning, City Light. Okay. All right. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm excited. We get to start our walk through the book of Joshua this morning. If you're new to reading the Old Testament, uh, honestly, it might feel a little bit like watching a movie sequel before you saw the original. All right. You know what that feeling is like. Like, I love the Marvel movies. Uh, I've watched all of them from the original Iron Man to Spider-Man Far From Home. I just love how it's kind of an epic story. Story with threads that weave through each of the movies. My wonderful wife, on the other hand, just not as impressed, all right? She has definitely not seen them all. One time uh, for a date night, I talked her into watching the Guardians of the Galaxy with me, okay? Uh, as you might expect, I loved it. She did not. Uh, I, I think there are lots of reasons that she didn't like it. One of them, she was asking me questions the whole time. Why does the green girl have a purple dad? What is an infinity stone? Isn't there anybody in this movie that I would have heard of before? Why do you like this stuff? Just question after question. I think there are all kinds of reasons that she didn't connect with it. But among them is she just didn't know how it fit in the epic Marvel universe, right? So even before the movie got started, she was behind. And friends, as we get started in the book of Joshua, as your pastor, I just want your experience with Joshua to be different than Sarah's experience with Guardians of the Galaxy, all right? I don't want anybody starting from behind. So let me give you two ways to get caught up as we get started. One, would you join us for our Joshua deep dive tonight, all right? It's five o'clock right here in this room, or you can join us online as well on Zoom. Either way, we're going to spend a couple hours looking at the book of Joshua, kind of finding out how it fits in the epic story of the Bible, and then going through some themes, maybe some challenges that this book presents, okay? So the Joshua deep dive tonight, five o'clock. Second way, um, I feel like even this morning, we should all get started on the same page. So if you'll indulge me, I would love to do just a little recap of the story of the Bible that leads up to the book of Joshua. So we'll start there. In the very beginning, the opening page of the Bible, God created a place for his people. It was a garden that he called Eden. Now this is a big deal because place is a significant theme in the book of Joshua. So God made this garden, this place where he would walk with his people. In fact, the book of Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So in the very beginning, There was a place, a land, a garden where God was with his people. But it didn't last very long. Um, Life in the garden was broken when the man and the woman bought into the lies of a serpent and decided to rebel against God. They broke the only rule that he gave them for life in the garden by eating the fruit from the tree. And because they rejected God's ways, because they rebelled against him, They were made to leave the garden. So that very first sin separated man from God. They were no longer in God's place. 
And the whole rest of the Bible is the account of God making right what sin broke. God redeeming and restoring his creation. And that redeeming work starts right away. So just a few pages after Adam and Eve got uh, sent out of the garden, God makes a promise to a man named Abram, who's better known by his uh, later name that God gave him, Abraham. God makes a promise to Abram saying this, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so we see just a few chapters after the garden, God is already promising to give his people a land, a place again. And then God told Abram how all of that would work, how it would play out. This is what the Bible says. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And that is exactly what happened. See, Abram's grandson, Jacob, took the family from the promised land to Egypt because there was a great famine. And while things started strong in Egypt, they deteriorated quickly until God's people had become slaves in a foreign land. In other words, they were sojourners in a land that was not theirs, just like God had foretold. And then, on God's timeline, 400 years later... God worked a series of great miracles through a man named Moses to set his people free from their captivity and slavery. Uh, God kept his promise just like he said he would. And at that time, Abram's small family that entered Egypt had grown into a huge nation with 600,000 men plus women and children. Another promise kept by God. And so that nation was set free from their captors, and they made their way to the border of God's promised land. Now, despite all the promises that God had kept to his people, all the miracles that he had worked to get them there, God's people saw huge fortified cities and big, strong people in the promised land, and they got scared And refused to enter in. God's people rebelled against him again. It sort of reminds you of the garden all over again, right? Like Adam and Eve's rebellion against God meant that they had to leave God's place. Now this generation's rebellion against God meant that they never got to enter in the first place. And so instead of entering into the promised land, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness until everyone from the generation that had rebelled had passed away, and a new generation rose up who hadn't rebelled, and again, God led them to the border of his promised land. They're camped across the river looking at God's promised land, and that brings us to the book of Joshua. 
And so with that recap in mind, as we come on the sequel of the first five books of the Bible, you can tell the story of Joshua starts with a sense of great expectation. That the God who has kept phenomenal promises and worked incredible miracles is about to keep another promise to his people. He's about to give them the land that he had promised. And so... I think we can look at Joshua chapter 1 sort of like a coach talking to his team, preparing them for the game. Joshua chapter 1 is really two conversations. In the first one, God talks to Joshua and tells him the plan. In the second one, Joshua talks to the people and tells them the plan. It's nearly the same conversation twice, like the coach talking to the captain and the captain talking to the team, okay? That's where we're going. That's the conversation. That's chapter 1. There are four things that I don't want you to miss from this chapter. Four themes that are going to run through this chapter and all the way through the rest of the book of Joshua. Here they are. It's the plan, the promise, the presence, and the posture. I got four Ps. That was pretty good, right? The plan, the promise, the presence, the posture. Here's how I think they all fit together. The plan is rooted in the promise And the posture is rooted in the presence. The plan is rooted in the promise. The posture is rooted in the presence. That's our two-point outline. It's where we're headed, so let's jump in, all right? We'll go with the plan is rooted in the promise first. I think God shows us his plan right from the very outset. Let me read to you from the first couple verses of Joshua 1 again. God said to Joshua, my servant, excuse me, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So you see the plan. Arise and go. Get up and enter the land. Take your place. Like, make your way. Get going. Now, I want you to imagine with me just for a moment that you were one of God's people who heard this command and this plan for the very first time. You would have been a person that stood among more than a million other people that made up the 12 tribes of Israel. And as you stood among them, though the nation had become great, you were a people without a place. In fact, by this point in time, you would have been a people who had known the majority of your lives, for some of you, the entirety of your lives as wanderers in the wilderness. That meant your life, uh, your home was nothing more than a tent and a suitcase. You never knew if you would lay your head in the same place uh, tomorrow night as you did last night. Wanderers. And yet, all your life, You have heard these stories of the incredible miracles that God had done. The incredible promises that he had kept. In fact, your parents and grandparents likely had told you stories of God sending great plagues on Pharaoh and all of Egypt to set them free. They probably told you stories of God parting the Red Sea so that his people could cross and escape the pursuing Egyptians on dry ground. Don't miss the reality that the very parents and grandparents who were telling you these stories were the ones who had experienced them themselves. God's story was their story. 
And as they told you about the promises that God had kept and the miracles that he had worked, they told you about one that was yet to be fulfilled. A promise for the next generation. A promise for you. God said he would give you his promised land. You would enter in. Imagine, homeless wanderers are promised a home. God is saying he would do it. Imagine, you are one of God's people standing on the riverbank looking across the water to see the place that God said would be yours, and he just commanded you, arise and go. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's the stuff that great stories are made of, right? Like you can feel the hope building and the tension building, and you just can't wait for it to actually happen. It reminds me of some of the great stories that are told in our day. Like my kids, one of their favorites is The Greatest Showman. You guys know this show? It's a, the embellished story of P.T. Barnum's life. As a kid, he, was, uh, he lost both of his parents and became a wandering orphan himself. And then at night, he would sing, Every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head, a million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see, a million dreams is all it's going to take. And of course, like most stories in our day, it all works out in phenomenal fashion for him. He marries his childhood sweetheart, they start a circus together, it becomes a fantastic success, and he provides for his family the home that he always longed for but never had as a child. It's movies like that, they give you, just give you those warm fuzzies and make you want to go out and accomplish all your dreams, right? I think stories like that, like... Help us imagine ourselves in the place the Israelites were in. They're standing on the riverbank looking at the promised land with a million dreams of what God is going to do for them. Now friends, while I think stories today can help us kind of relate to what the Israelites must have been feeling in that moment, I do think there is one huge striking difference between the great stories of our day and this account of God's work in Joshua's life. Here's the difference. One is dream-driven. The other is promise-driven. You see the difference? One's dream-driven, the other is promise-driven. In other words, I think most of the great stories that we hear today are of people reaching up to accomplish their dreams. But here in Joshua, we see a man who is digging deep into the long-standing promises of God. Man, there's a huge difference between those two perspectives, right? I think we live in a dream-driven world. Like, our worldview is captured in quotes like this one from Walt Disney. He said, if you can dream it, you can do it. Right? You can imagine Walt Disney saying that, like sitting right in front of Mickey Mouse or whatever. If you can dream it, you can do it. It sounds great. It's motivating. It's inspiring. In fact, it's inspired a new wellness trend, this worldview. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, it's called manifesting. Anybody know what this is? Like it's trending on, I don't know, whatever things trend on today. Uh, manifesting. It's this idea where your thoughts create your reality. 
So they, they literally encourage you, man, if you can focus hard enough on your dreams, if you can think deeply enough, want it eagerly enough, you can literally manifest your dreams into reality. So like, you dream, I'm going to earn $20,000 this month, or I'm going to lose 10 pounds this week, and you just like focus, and you say it in the mirror, and then all of a sudden, you manifest it into reality. It's really a trend that people are like pursuing right now. And I'll be honest, it sounds kind of (laughs) cool. Like if the world worked that way, there'd be something cool about it. But I think from just practical life experience, anybody who's lived more than two weeks in this world knows that's not how it goes, right? Are you with me? Like I think about what if my dream was to become an offensive lineman in the NFL, If that was my dream, I'd have a hard time manifesting it into reality. I did a little research. Um, In 2016, the smallest lineman in each position, this was their stats, okay? 6'3", 305, 6'2", 303, 6'2", 285, 6'1", 3'10", 6'4", 295. Those are big guys, and that's the bottom tier. And so if I was going to as an offensive lineman, I'd have to manifest at least six inches and double my bulk just to be on the bottom tier. I got about as much chance of that happening as Doug has of manifesting himself a best beard award, all right? It's just not happening for either of us. Now, I think there's more than just physical limitations to manifesting our dreams into reality. I've got a buddy who's an entrepreneur, like a... uh, business starter, cool guy. He had this dream. He started a business last year. It was a co-working space. Cool idea. We can get lots of entrepreneurs and startup business owners, small business owners to like rent a desk in this space. And then they can collaborate and share resources and innovate together. Super cool idea, a co-working space. But guess how well that went over in the 2020 work from home revolution? (laughs) Like a popsicle stand in Alaska, right? Like (laughs) there's just nobody doing that. And so even though it was a great idea, it's just terrible timing and it did not work. For all sorts of reasons, you can't just manifest your dreams into reality. And so, listen, I don't want to tell anybody not to pursue your dreams. But what I do want to encourage you this morning is there, there is a whole lot better place to root your plans for this life than in your dreams. Are you with me? The book of Joshua tells us that Joshua rooted his plans in the promises of God. And oh, they are incredible promises. I just want to read you a few just from the first part of Joshua chapter 1. Look, listen to what God says to his people, promises that he makes. Here's the first. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. 
Imagine that. He said that to a group of nomadic wanderers who had never known a place that they could step their foot and call it home, who had never known a place that they could sleep one night after the other. God says to this people that, he, that they're going to enter a land where everywhere they step, he's giving it to them. They can't find a place that they don't get a call home. They can't travel to a place that will not be theirs. What an incredible promise, right? And that's just one. Let me give you another one. Uh, This is verse 6. He said, you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So at this stage, God's people, all they have to look forward to inheriting is some old pottery and earrings that their grandparents heisted on their way out of Egypt, right? And so God is saying, hey, forget the pots, forget the earrings. I've got a whole lot better inheritance, one that's going to last generations. I've got a land for you to inherit. Incredible promise. Let me give you one more. God says, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, remember this command, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Did you hear a command there? Isn't that interesting wording? Remember this command, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest. Inheriting a place of rest is the command. It's like God is telling these wanderers, no more wandering, rest. No more tent, home. No more waiting, go. I just can't fathom a better promise for a wandering people. I hope you're getting the picture, friends, that even our greatest dreams cannot compete with the promises of God, either in size or certainty. I just want to say it again. Even our greatest dreams cannot compete with the promises of God in either size or certainty. And so let me ask you today, it's a question for self-reflection Are your plans rooted in the promises of God? Are they rooted there? Friends, God has given us this amazing book, and it is chock full of promises from God to his people. Can I just ask you, would you soak them in? Like as you read your Bible later today or throughout this week or throughout the year, can I encourage you, be on the lookout for promises of God to you, to us. And when you find one, highlight it or underline it or circle it or make a note in the margin or write it down on a note card and put it where you'll see it all the time. Do something so that you don't just breeze over it, but instead you remember it. You let it form your plans for this life. And I just want to give you one, just like a freebie to start out this morning before you go look on your own, okay? Um, Here it is. Jesus himself picks up on God's promise to give his people rest. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Man, is that not good news? I don't know about you, but it just feels like water to a thirsty soul when I read it. it, It's telling us that, look, God's promise of rest was not just for the weary bodies of his people in Joshua's day. God's promise of rest is for the weary souls of his people in our day. It means if you're longing for rest for your weary soul, it, true rest will not come when things get back to normal. It will not come when the number in the bank account gets back up. It will not come when you find somebody to love that loves you in return. It will not come when that person who hurt you finally says, I'm sorry. If you are longing for rest for your weary soul, the Bible says you can find it. Today, Jesus gives it to his people. I don't know, that's a promise that I just want to soak in and remember and live by because I'm prone to look for rest in all kinds of other places. Oh, friends, would we learn from Joshua to root our plans in the promises of God. Amen? Are you with me? That's point number one, okay? Let's go to number two. Uh, Joshua rooted his plans in the promise of God And then the Bible tells us what that looks like, how that life is lived. I would say it like this. The posture is rooted in the presence. That's point number two. Let's look back at God's word. This is Joshua 1, 5 through 7. God said, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. And so we see a posture of strength and courage and the presence of God when he says, I will be with you, right? And God says to Joshua, I will be with you in a never-leaving, never-forsaking, never-abandoning kind of way. Sort of like a Husker fan who still wears red and white, even though the rebuild has taken longer than a decade, right? God's just not jumping ship. If you didn't catch it, I said something nice about a Husker, okay? So I can do that. I still love you guys. The point, Joshua's strong and courageous posture is rooted in God's never-leaving, never-forsaking presence. Now, this is striking, because remember, this is not the first time that Joshua has stood on the riverbank ready to cross into the Promised Land. In fact, the first time around, Joshua was one of 12 spies who were sent out on a reconnaissance mission of sorts to spy out the land and see what it was like. And when the 12 spies came back, Joshua and his buddy Caleb had a great report. This land is incredible. We've never seen anything like it. Let's go. We can do this. God is with us. But the other 10 spies came back with a very different report. Here's what they said. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height 
And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. See, the promised land wasn't empty. It was full of fortified cities and people, like big, tall, strong, vicious, wicked, scary people. And so when the people of God say they felt like grasshoppers, as a little guy, I feel like I can relate, right? Like, I was in the uh, hallways of Drake University once when I was in college, and uh, a guy walked up behind me and grabbed my shoulder. It was this guy, the ultimate warrior. I didn't know he was there. Uh, He walks up behind me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and said, where's the bathroom? Like, that was his normal voice. And I immediately, as his hand engulfed my entire upper body, I just cowered down and thought, I need the answer to that question too, (laughs) right? Like, I I was in deadly fear of this guy. Uh, So I can relate. (laughs) I get lost. (laughs) The people of God, when Joshua first spied out the land, they were scared of what they were about to encounter. So with that facing them still, how could Joshua muster up a posture of strength and courage instead of cowering in fear and dread like I did? I think the answer, he knew that the God with him was greater than the people that stood against him. Are you with me? Joshua knew that the God who promised to never leave him or forsake him, the God that was with him, was greater than the people that stood against him. God's presence with him gave him a posture of strength and courage. It was not something from himself, from inside. It was something from outside. God with him. For Joshua... The presence of God was not this mysterious, mystical force from within that he had to tap into and wield. No, God's presence was a promise. And God did Joshua a favor by getting very practical and telling him what life looks like when you live in the presence of God. Here are God's words to Joshua. He said, only be strong and very courageous. Have that posture being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." So how did Joshua walk in the presence of God? He meditated on God's word. Regularly, day and night, fiercely committed, not turning from the right to the right or to the left. He meditated on God's word. Now look, this is fascinating. God was sending his people into a land with bigger, stronger people than his own, with fortified cities, that his people had no cities. God is sending his people on a conquest where they are outmatched, and God did not give them a battle plan to execute. He gave them a law to meditate on. That is unexpected, isn't it? What does that say about God's plan? 
It's telling us that the conquest of the promised land is not dependent on military prowess. It's dependent on God's presence. Are you with me? God gave them the book of the law. That's the first five books of the Bible. And that is not, it's so much more than just a list of rules. It's a guide for God's people to know his heart, to know how to walk with him and stay close to him, to know God's intent for their lives. And so Joshua, instead of sitting in a tent, crafting a strategy He sat with the book on his knees, meditating to know the God who promised to be with him. The the posture of strength and courage was rooted in the presence as Joshua meditated on God's word. And so friends, just one more question for self-reflection. Since God got practical, let's get practical. What are you meditating on? Say it another way, are you meditating on God's word? Listen, I'm not talking about the meditation where you like sit crisscross and light the incense and have the chimes, right? Like that's not the meditation I'm talking about. I'm talking about that deep thinking where you give your mind space to process and chew on something until it shapes who you are. It's the process of letting truth sink deep. Like the guy at Papa John's who like kneads and forms and shapes the dough ball into a pizza crust. What we meditate on kneads and forms and shapes us. Like our feelings and our perspectives and our convictions, what we meditate on forms and shapes us. And so I just ask again, what are you meditating on? Friends, I think we live in a world with, with all kinds of things that are competing for that deep place in your heart. It's like a battle to see who can get the deepest and occupy that space. From notifications on your phone to new posts on whatever social media thing you follow or a new video on the channel that you watch. Whatever it is, there are all kinds of things angling to get to that deep place in your heart. And I'm just telling you today, the Bible says that when the word of God gets there, God's presence is with us. We walk in the presence of God when we meditate on his word. What a promise, right? Can I just encourage you? There is no other thing that can give you the kind of strength and courage that the presence of God can give you. There is no other thing that can compete with the goodness of God's presence, And so in a world competing for that place in your heart, can I encourage you, would you be intentional to be a meditator on God's word? Oh, city light, let's learn from Joshua. May our plans be rooted in God's promises and our posture rooted in his presence. Amen? Will you guys pray with me? Awesome God. I thank you for this story in uh, the book of Joshua. It's not just a story like a fable for this account of what you've done among your people. I thank you that there's so much of it that we can take today, that your presence is with us. Um, Hebrews says, 
since you said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. And so the promise applies to us. And guys, I've prayed through this. I knew I'd get to pray with your people. And it was the prayer of the psalmist that landed on my heart. Psalm 19 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. God, I pray that as our prayer. Will the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight? God, I, I imagine there are lots of different kinds of people here today. There are some who have never opened your word and read it. They, they're uh, coming here to hear it. They listen when it's spoken to them. And God, I'm so honored and grateful to get to do that. And yet we have such a gift. You've given us your word. We have copies of it. We can read it for ourselves every day. It's on our phones. God, I pray that you would make us a people who have our nose in the book. People who read to know you and enjoy you and stand on your promises to be formed and shaped by your word. And so God, for those people who uh, just, it's not a regular practice, maybe it never has been, to open the Bible and read it for themselves. God, today, would you give them an eagerness, uh, a curiosity, a desire to open your word and read it even for the first time? God, would you do that today? Many of us. And God, I know that there are others who this is a regular practice. Um, the Bible's part of their daily rhythm. And yet for most, that can uh, run in streaks, hot and cold. God, I pray for all of us that this would be a season where we are in the book. And by your spirit, God, would you just bring to life the promises from your word that you have made to us? That we would know them, that we'd be confident in them, that we would draw strength and courage from them, that we would know your presence because we're in your word walking with you. God, if we don't know your presence, uh, it was Moses that said something like, if you're not going with me, I'm not going. And so God, would you make us that kind of people with that kind of heart? If you're not with us, we're not going, but wherever you go, we will follow. Would you make that the cry of our heart? For your glory and our good, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.